good to be here this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I am Lloyd Biddle. I'm the associate pastor at High Point Church. Uh, pastor Nick, um, this past uh, Tuesday, every Tuesday we do a staff prayer. And we were having our normal prayer session. And uh, at a certain point in the prayer session, uh, we started hearing uh, snoring. And we were like, man, who, who, you know, we look, everybody looked around, you know, Lisa's looking at me, I'm looking at her, you know, yeah, yeah, what's going on? And so we finally, after another second, so this is Nick. Oh, Nick is snoring while doing the prayer. And what, what's happening is he is burning the midnight oil, writing books, writing sermons. And so he and his wife, Lexi, are on a well-deserved break. They're in Colorado enjoying themselves. Uh, and then they'll, he'll be back next week. He'll be back in the pulpit next week. Um, uh, can you believe that this is, uh, I'm over one year on the job as the associate pastor of High Point Church, amen? I, I take that warm applause as a vote of uh, confidence, you know, that I got one more year at least, uh, you know, that I could, that I could hang on. Uh, uh, but, but seriously, it's been a delight to, to be, to serve in this role. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at Colossians. We're going to continue in our sermon series on things above, where we are explaining about how being heavenly minded or focused on Christ and his kingdom is actually earthly good. Um, so this morning, we're going to look at Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Um, and uh, if you want to read along with me, you can turn to page 1832 in your Bibles page 1832. We'll read verses 15 through 23. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. In this passage, Paul is laying out his understanding of who Jesus really is. John Piper, who is the founder and teacher of Desiring God Ministries, author of more than 50 books, uh, chancellor of the Bethlehem uh, College and Seminary and former pastor of about 30 years at Bethlehem Baptist Church, he says this about this particular passage. He says, this is probably the most dense 
concentrated acclamation of the Son of God in all the Bible. This is most appropriate because Jesus is the most amazing reality in the universe. The Colossians really need to know Jesus in order for them to grow in their faith. They need to know before they can grow. Nick talked about this last Sunday, you'll recall, in Colossians 1, 9 through 10. For this reason, since today we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. You see, central to the understanding of our Christian faith is a clear perspective on who the object of our faith is, Jesus Christ. We can believe, we can, we can have full assurance because our faith is in Jesus Christ. Jesus understood this very well, and this is what he taught to his disciples. Um, he recognized that before someone could be a disciple, before someone could, could follow him, could follow his teachings, they really had to understand who he was. So he asked them. And this particular scene shows up in three of the four Gospels, in Mark, in Matthew, in Luke. This scene of Jesus asking his disciples is recorded. I chose the Mark version. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. So what did the people have to say? Each of their answers, the people that were Jesus's contemporaries who heard him preach, who saw his miracles, each of them had very low and inaccurate perspectives on who Jesus is. They said that Jesus was John the Baptist. Well, we know that John the Baptist had a preparatory role. He told the people to look for another who was going to take away their sins. And then a second, a common Jewish concept of the day was that Elijah was going to come back to, to life, that he would be revived. And this comes out of Malachi 3.1, Malachi 4.5. It talks about Elijah coming back. But if you look carefully at that ministry in Malachi, that was also a preparatory role. That was to prepare the way for Jesus. So wrong on two accounts. And the third one is even worse than the first two. They say one of the prophets. And this reflects even a lower view of Jesus. It says basically, you know, we have, he's just another one of the many prophets that have come. That's all Jesus is. And so Jesus, being omnipotent, knowing all things, turns to those who should know better, those who know him the best. And he says, now this is how the world has summarized me. What do you say that I am? And, fr and finally from, from Peter, who speaks on behalf of all the 12, Peter recognizes that no, this is indeed the Messiah. This is the promised son of David who would sit on the throne for eternity, who would establish a kingdom of righteousness. No, Jesus, you are the son of God. So this morning what I wanna do is a couple of things. 
I want to ask this question to modern people. Who do you say Jesus is? And after we talk about that, I want to take a deep dive into who I think from Colossians 1, 15 through 23. This is my summary of who Jesus is. Jesus is Lord of all. He's the creator and the sustainer of all things on heaven and earth. The redeemer of all who come to him in repentance and faith. In fact, he's the redeemer of the whole earth. That's what Romans teaches us, that he's going to create a new earth, untarnished. He desires that all men be reconciled to him and continue in fellowship with him forever. So I want to talk about four potential responses to who is Jesus, and then I want to take a deep dive, a deeper dive into who is Jesus. Who do men say that I am? Here's what I think maybe one of the first things modern people would say about Jesus. They say this. They say, Jesus, you're a fraud. Because a God that cannot be seen, proven by science, is no God at all. Some deny the existence of Christ, of Scripture, because he cannot be proven to exist by material, mechanical, deterministic, natural processes. In other words, since you can't prove his existence by scientific or empirical theory, he simply just doesn't exist. However, God, as he has revealed himself to be in Scripture, is transcendent. The God who is exists beyond the realm of human life and the universe. Here is what, how Jesus talked to his, his contemporaries of the day who didn't believe that he was God. Here's what he told them. He said, listen, we're talking about totally different things. You are from below. You are human, of human origin. I am from the, the above. I'm divine, always have been. You are of this world. This is your habitat. You don't know anything different. I am not of this world. Listen, I've been with the Father forever. He also says this in relation to his transcendence, the fact that Jesus is beyond this world. Psalm 113, 4 through 6, the Lord is exalted over the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord or our God? The one enthroned on high who stoops down to look on the heavens and on the earth. Jesus we can build all kinds of rockets, but no one knows the home of Jesus Christ. We can't get there by our human me mechanisms and means. And what's interesting about Jesus, he transcends us in holiness, in righteousness, in essence, in his own being. He's far beyond us. But even though that is true, he's also Emmanuel. This is a mind blower. The king of, of everything who stands beyond, who earth is our, our footstool, he, dis, he condescended, was born of woman to show us, to reconcile us to God. So the God that transcends everything actually took on flesh and lived among us. What an awesome God we served. Transcendent but yet humble enough to be among us. And we can know him by his revelation in no other way. Our telescopes, our archaeology, our microscopes are not going to lead you to have faith in Jesus. But recognizing, hearing his word, and a move of the Spirit will reveal to you that Jesus is real. The second point is that 
potential answer that people would have is that Jesus, you are a prophet, but we have others to listen to. Jesus is just simply a good teacher. He has some things to say that could make your life better, but he's very similar to Oprah Winfrey or Tony Robbins or Deepak Chopra or Dalai Lama. Listen, listen. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to be Jesus crazy. There's other things that are out there, other ideas that you can learn from. There's more than just Jesus. So we have to carefully scrutinize in this age of the internet where you can get all kinds of philosophies and information and teachers at the click of a button. I got this one, this uh, particular um, discussion at the click of a button by someone I actually like a lot, Oprah Winfrey. Two minutes on Oprah. Many of you, as I have been, as I am, are where you are in your life based upon what you believe. And it's not just what you think you believe on the surface, it's also your shadow beliefs that are holding you back from moving into the life that you believe you deserve. What I know is if you're not looking at the shadows, if you're not looking at what is subconsciously running through the tape in your mind, telling yourself you're not good enough, you're not worthy enough, you're not smart enough, you're not enough, which is a tape that's playing for a lot of people. If you're not conscious of that, then you end up acting out of that belief system and not out of what you know to be the truest or want to be the truest for yourself. You don't become what you want because so much of wanting is about living in the space of what you don't have. That's why Jim Carrey's story is so powerful because he started to act as though he already had it. He would go up to Mulholland Drive. He would drive away saying, thinking, I already have those things. I just haven't accessed them as yet. I believe those things are going to come to me and I'm going to act like they are. So I'm going to move forward in my life in order to draw that to myself in such a way that my actions are in alignment with what I say I believe. So if you start to think about that, really, Why are you where you are in your life? The choices that you have made have been because of what you believe to be true for yourself. So what do you believe to be true for yourself? Do you believe that if you can just dig deeper into your heart, if you can just dream it, if you can just believe it, that you can, then you can receive it? That's a totally different faith system than believing in Jesus Christ that he lived, that he died for your sins, that, 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 you can, that if you seek him and find him first, all things will be given to you. That's a totally different belief system. I wanna to suggest to you that when we look at media, when you consider the works of modern prophets and philosophers, it's okay to, to explore and to consider their views, but I'm just suggesting to you that you wanna look at them from a biblical worldview. Filter them through a spiritual mind that then you'll be able to discern what is true and what is false. You see, we have to recognize that either Christ is full of grace and truth or these other prophets are. So you have to decide. The first is response of man is that Jesus is a fraud. The second is that Jesus is just another one of the prophets. And here's the third one. The third one is this. I'm not advancing, there we go, a little too fast. Jesus, 
you are the savior, but I don't want you to stop. I don't want to stop what I'm doing right now. To be honest with you, when I was 23, 24, came to faith, this was where I was. I was like, if somebody presented the gospel to me, I would have been like, yeah, I understand it. I, I do believe that I'm a sinner. I mean, I would have had no way to refute it. It was obvious to anybody with any, you know, eyes that they, because I was a sinner. He was the answer. I could, but the issue was I still just wanted to keep doing what I was doing. The issue is, am I willing to stop my own self-fulfillment in order to follow Jesus? The rich young ruler was in this same camp. He came to Jesus and he recognized that he tried to be religious, that he tried to follow the law. He knew something was wrong in his spirit. He came to Jesus to find the answer. And this is their dialogue. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to gain eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter eternal life, obey the commandments. Which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, obey them all. All these I have kept, the young man said, but I'm guilty, Lord, what do I still lack? Jesus looked at him, one of the transitions, this is also one of those texts that shows up in all of the synoptics. You see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. One version says, Jesus looked at him and loved him and said, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. I don't want to water down the Christian message. To break it down to say that you can have Christ and still live your life the way you had been. No, I, I want you to recognize that when you accept Christ, what you're saying is that you are a sinner and Jesus, you are righteous. Jesus, you are holy and I'm, I have not been. Jesus, you have eternal life and I'm headed towards a different destination. You see, to follow Jesus, you have to, there's a confession that has to take place, that your life is gonna change. The total trajectory of your life will change when you accept Christ as savior. Now Christ loved this man, even enough to let him walk out sad because he wasn't willing to accept the fact that when you come to Jesus, you leave your past life behind. So those are the, th the, the, the three um, potential responses. Jesus, this one, I'm just not ready yet. I, I mentally, I get it, I know who you are, but I'm just not ready to come. I don't wanna leave the world behind. And the last one is this one. It's Jesus, you are the savior, and I will repent of my sins, I will confess you as Lord, I will live in righteousness empowered by your spirit. And I want to suggest to you that in order for you to get to that place, you have to have a good understanding of who Jesus is. Most people, especially today, when there is a much more skepticism about the claims of Christ, especially today when maybe kids aren't raised in the, in the church the way they might have been in the past, especially today, people have to have time to, have a, to gain, to, to, to learn and to study Christ more deeply. As, as uh, Nick would say, to learn how to apply the gospel to every area of their life, that takes time, that doesn't happen overnight. 
So this morning, we want to take a quick look at who Jesus is. What is Jesus about? I want to, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give you four, I think, probably the most vital attributes of Jesus. Four things that are really crucial to understanding who he is. And then after I give you those four, I'm going to tell you what I think the, the right response to those four are. Okay? In quick succession, Jesus is the image of God. We get this out of verse 15. In this sense, he is the exact likeness of God. That is to say, when you see Jesus you see God himself. I like the way John 1.18 says this. It says, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, that is Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. It also says this in 2 Corinthians 4.6, for God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. When we talk about the image of God, we're not talking about his physical representation. We're talking about his attributes. We're talking about his character. So that when you see Jesus, you see the fullness of God's character. That's what Jesus told Andrew in the Gospel of John, about chapter 16, when Andrew says to Jesus, show me the Father and it will be sufficient for me. He said, Andrew, don't you know that if you have, you've been around me for so long, don't you know that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Every, every miracle, every work of, of grace, every bit of love, every sermon preached, every sense of power, don't you know that if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the Father? Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. He is the image of God. The second thing I want to say about Jesus is that he is the firstborn. That comes out of verses 15 and verse 19. What this is talking about is, at the very onset of creation, Jesus was. He's firstborn. He's preeminent in rank over everything that precedes. He's also firstborn in the church. And he is the head of the body, verse 18 of Colossians 1. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. I like the way Romans talks about this as well. For those who God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We know that in the Old Testament, and even in the New, there were incidents of people coming back to life, right? Uh, Lazarus, for instance. Jesus himself rose Lazarus. But Jesus was the only one who was raised from the dead and never died again. Him being raised from the dead on behalf of our sins as the substitute for our sins is the is the foundation for which the church was built. He is the head of the church. He gave his blood for the church. Whenever uh, in Acts chapter 20, Paul gets to talking about uh, the, the theology of being a shepherd. And he talks about the church that he purchased with his own blood. I, my skin crawls because I'm an elder. And he's going on to lay on them the responsibility of being an elder to watch over the flock. He said, the church that he purchased with his own blood. In other words, he would give anything and everything so that we could be his. The father gave his only son. Nothing more precious than that. He is the firstborn of the church. 
He is first in everything. That's the second thing. The third thing is Jesus is the creator of all things. All things here connotes the totality of the universe. Humans, animals, angels, devils, demons, every spiritual form. The scripture says that they were made by Jesus, they were made through Jesus, they were made for Jesus. Everything that exists comes from him. John 1, 3 and 10, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. And Colossians goes on to say that Jesus holds everything together. Oftentimes as the days seem to grow more strange and we seek catastrophes and more wars, those passages in, the, in Matthew that talk about where Jesus predicts what will happen in the end times becomes more real for me. What I want you to know is Jesus is still holding the world together. I like the way this one scholar talks about it. He says, he is the principle of cohesion that makes the universe a cosmos, an orderly world as opposed to chaos. Any sense of order or peace and establishment that we have in our world, it comes from Jesus. He created that. He's still holding it all together for us. So Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the firstborn. Jesus is the creator, the sustainer of all things. Lastly, Jesus is the sovereign ruler of everything. Verse 18, it just sums it all up. In the second part of verse 18, it says this. He is the head, blah, 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 blah. So that in all things, yes, so that in, in everything, in everything, he may have the supremacy. So what, what, what Paul is trying to say is this. There's no getting around Jesus. He's either your best friend or at a certain point in time, he'll be a terrible foe, an unsurmountable foe. So how do we respond to Jesus? What's the proper response to Jesus? I think the proper response to Jesus comes out of Colossians. First of all, Colossians 3.2 says this, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That is to say, set your affection on Jesus Christ, your mind's attention, deliberately putting your mind, your thoughts, your, your intellect on Christ and who he is. Um, One of the things that uh, strikes me is what we can do when we set our minds to it. I remember my uh, youngest son was uh, eighth grade and he was having a good, he had a good first semester. I think he narrowly missed being on the honor roll or something, a couple three A's, a couple B's. And I was looking at him and I said, you know, I think he could do, he could do better if he would just focus. So I said to Jared, I said, Jared, I'm gonna pay you $100 for every A. Okay, $100 for every A this semester. Now, if you get a C, I'm taking it back. So for every A, right, you get one C. If you had 100 on an A, then they cancel themselves off. I'm giving you nothing. So you can get either 100 for A's and then neutral for B's, $100. So Jared gets three, are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. All right. So he starts hunkering down. He starts studying. And I get the quarterly grades in. It's like straight A's. I'm like, oh my God, I'm gonna have to pay this guy 500 bucks. 
so, so I start negotiating with his wife, with my wife. I say, Debbie, can we pay him $50? She said, no, you told him you're gonna pay him 100. I said, yeah, I told him I was gonna pay him 100. Okay, okay. <laughs> Semester ends, J Jared ends up with one of his best semesters. Four A's, right? I pay the, 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 the 400 bucks, right? That summer he's got stuff, you know? And I realized, I said, you know, okay now, Jared, you see that this shows that you could be an excellent scholar when you put your mind to it. Listen, you can grow in Jesus Christ. In fact, I'm gonna say this, you can't grow in Jesus if you don't put your mind to it. You've gotta put your mind and you've gotta put some time into knowing and learning who Jesus is. And so this morning, right over uh, in Micah D, we have uh, Nancy Miller is, is teaching a class on spiritual uh, principles. Uh, the, the, the Robert Foster, Richard Foster's book is called, I can't think of the name of it. What is it again? A celebration of discipline. The, the, is, what he's basically teaching is that if you want to grow in holiness, if you want to grow in Christ, you've got to establish some disciplines. There's going to be some reading. There's going to be some meditation. There might be some fasting involved some worship involved, some active engagement. You've got to put your mind on Jesus. That's the first thing to, to how you should respond to this amazing Lord of all. You need to put your mind into it. The second thing you need to do is you need to put your heart into it. 3-1 of Colossians, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart's affection on God. What this means is that you need to direct your love, your, your devotion, your passion, your desire, and your commitment onto God. You really need to love God. That's why everything, every law that there is, every moral command that gives us, that God gives us comes out of the commandment to love him with our hearts, our minds, our soul, and all of our strength, and then to love our neighbors like we love ourselves. Everything comes out of love in Christ. Everything comes out of gratitude. Nothing comes out of, nothing good comes out of I have to do it. Christ died for us, we embrace his salvation, and then gratitude takes place. All of our works, all of our good works comes out of gratitude. When I got uh, engaged, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Kathy, helped me choose Deborah's uh, engagement ring. And I knew that Deborah wanted a uh, emerald cut diamond. That was all the, that she told me. When she agreed to marry me, she said, I want an emerald cut diamond. So I had never really bought, I, don't, I never have bought girls jewelry. I always thought that was a, you better like a girl if you're gonna give her jewelry. Jason and Jared, don't do that. Don't do jewelry until it's the right, the real deal. When it's the real deal, jewelry. Anyway. So I wanted to buy her this ring. So, so, I, so I went to the jewelry store and I, I selected this ring. It was $2,500. Now I don't know if, if that sounds like a lot of money. This was 1988. That was a lot of money back in 1988. Heck, yeah. I might have been making 30,000 a year. I mean, that was a lot of money. And so, uh, but I, I loved it. You know, the jeweler did a great job. He was a great salesperson. Yeah, you know, one carat, perfectly clear, all the, you know, all the stuff that they, they tell you in the jewelry store. And so I said, okay, I, I can't afford this. I mean, I had like $500. So I got this great idea. I'm going to go to my dad and I, I, I'll ask my dad to co-sign it. I won't ask him to give me the money. And uh, I don't have credit enough even to get that. I'll ask my dad to, 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 to just sign, co-sign on, a, on a, a visa card, and then I'll buy the loan. I'll buy the ring. So I went over to my dad's house. Dad was a wise man. My dad, I, said, I, I gave my dad my great idea. He looked me over. He looked me top to bottom. 
Dad, when we were in his living room, he disappeared, went into his bedroom, came back with $300, gave me the lesson of my life. Here's what he said. He said, Lloyd, I want to, you know, I met your wife, she's a lovely woman. Here, it's $300. I want to help you with your ring. He said, Lloyd, learn how to live within your means. But I wanted that ring, so here's what I did. I sucked it up. For about six months, I just saved everything I could. I saved everything I could. I cut back on lunches. Why? Because my mind was focused. I loved Debbie, and I knew she was going to love that ring. And so at the end of that six months, I had $2,000 in cash. And I had $2,000. I put $500 on my American Express and paid it off in the next month. You see, if your heart is in it, you will, you'll, you will leave your sins to follow Jesus. If your heart is in it, there's nothing that Jesus could ask you for that you wouldn't do. If your heart is in it, you can make it. If, you, if our hearts are in our families, we will stay with our families. If our, if our, if our children's hearts are with our parents, they can, they, can, they can deal with difficulties and situations. We've got to put our hearts into it. There's no Christianity without a sincere love for Jesus and a sincere love for people. That sincere love for people one is the one I have to really continue to work on. So what's the right response to God? that he is our Lord, set our minds on things above, set our hearts on Christ. So what did Jesus do for us? This is who Jesus is, and then what has Jesus done? Verses 19 through 23, this is what Jesus has done. Jesus has been a part of our reconciliation and our redemption. This is key. This is, in other words, he's the initiator of our, of our life with him. If Jesus didn't act, none of us have, would, would come to him. Uh, reconciliation. This is a word, what it really means is we were enemies, is turning an enemy into a friend. You were an enemy, and now you're a friend. What I like is what Jesus says is that all of us were enemies of God. But without Christ, everyone fell into this camp. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following in the desires, in its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. And because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. So it is by grace you have been saved. And what I like about this, this situation is that all of us are in the same boat. You know, sometimes we Christians have a way of magnifying the sins of others. And we have acceptable sins in the body or in the church, in the local church, and unacceptable sins. And we got to break all that down. What Paul taught, what, the, what, what is true, is that every sin of ours is equally ugly before Christ. We all come to him on the same basis, missing, filthy rags. But because of his grace, because the one who had infinite love 
infinite power, because he died for us, the Father now receives us as righteous. So now in him we have Christ's holiness, Christ's righteousness, all a gift from God. So whatever your sin baggage is, I want you to recognize that in Christ, it can all be washed away. All of us had to come. I know sometimes Christians don't act like that, but the truth is, if once you get to know us, we will tell you about our desperate situation in regards to sin. So God reconciled us. He made it, he took us from being sinners, and now he's made us saints. He justified us. He redeemed us. He died on the cross so that we might have life with him. That's what God has done for us. And lastly then, how should we respond to him? Colossians 1.23. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I like the way uh, theologian F.F. Bruce talks about this notion of a Christian and the call to walk worthy the call to continue in the faith that you have received from Jesus Christ. He says this, if the Bible teaches the final perseverance of the saints, that is, that anyone who has received the Holy Spirit, who has repented of their sins and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, anyone who has received the Holy Spirit, they will persevere in faith to the end. Anyone who, if the Bible teaches the final perseverance of the saints, that is what I believe, that is what we teach at High Point. It also teaches that the, the saints are those who finally persevere in Christ. So it says this, that if you are a saint, then you're gonna walk like one. So the saints will persevere, and the people who persevere are the saints. So our lifestyle, our perseverance does matter. It, it, the fruit of the Spirit matters in our lives. We should be interested in growing more in Christ. It ought to be clear. I've been here six years, seven years, and if you can't see more fruit than when I came in 2006, same with you, same with our children, that we ought to be growing in Christ Jesus. That's what we are here for, to walk worthy in Christ. We don't do this out of duty. We do this out of love. We want to see Jesus' name be magnified. We want the unbelievers to come to Christ. So we don't want to be hypocrites. We want what we preach to be what we live. So that's what Jesus has in store for us. He is Lord. He is creator. He is the firstborn. He is the image of the invisible God. One passage says he's the fullness of God, and Jesus is the fullness of God. He's everything. And the right response to this kind of God is humble submission and obedience to him. Won't you bow in prayer? Dear Lord, we thank you that you are everything. That uh, we recognize that you are rightly the God who deserves our first place. 
Lord, my prayer is that you will use this series and that you will use uh, Nick's preaching and any other man that may come up uh, to help and assist in that work, that you would use your word, Father, that you would use your word to help us know more about you, to help us love you more, to help us serve you more authentically. Lord, we want your kingdom to be, to grow. We want your kingdom. We want to be earthly good, Lord. We want to be salt and life in earth. And we know that when we follow your will, that we will be. So bless us, Father. And Lord, we pray always that, um, that those who th- may think that you're a fraud, Lord, we pray that they would reconsider that they would reconsider and and recognize that you are indeed who you say you are, Lord of all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.